Brian Hubbard. And I'm Lynn McTaggart. And we are What Doctors Don't Tell You. And welcome to this, our latest podcast and webcast, I suppose. Vlogcast, I don't know. Anyway, we've been publishing What Doctors Don't Tell You since 1989, when we were mere children. And uh, we've been publishing every month since. It is now a glossy and wonderful magazine for those who are watching on YouTube are just holding it up, uh, available in all shops, but you know, subscribe as well. You can find us on wddty.com. And um, we're available in America as well as the UK and in 15 other countries around the world. So there you are. So no excuses. So what we do every time with the podcast is natter, really, don't we with natter, about the news and the interesting things that have come to our attention and all the years we've been researching, we always feel we have something useful to add to the to the yeah. debate. For those in America, by the way, natter equals, you know, we chew it, we chew it over a bit. We we jaw about it. So thank you for that translation. <laughs> and so, so first item, let's kick off. Um, interestingly, one from Goldman Sachs, everyone's favorite merchant bank. And they've come forward with the new with this world shattering news. That if drug companies actually cured anybody, they'd go out of business. And uh, Goldman Sachs and many, many institutional investors have been pouring money into drug companies for many, many years because they're highly profitable, which would also suggest, therefore, they can't be curing anyone. And uh, this all came to light because Goldman Sachs had been sort of umming and ahhing about making major investments into drug companies that are involved in a new form of drug called gene therapy. And the trouble with gene therapy is it's actually curing people. And Goldman Sachs says, well, that's no good because uh, you're losing your market every time you cure someone. And they sort of point out one particular uh, therapy that uh, caught his eye, which is um, treatment for hepatitis C, which was achieving cure rates of more than 90%, 90%. And at the peak, um, a few years back, it was churning over $12.5 billion in sales. Unfortunately, this year, sales will be down to $4 billion because the market's disappearing because people are being cured of the problem. And um, they're really urging the drug companies not to pursue this uh, because they're saying it may be fine for society and it may be wonderful for patients, but it sure ain't good for investors, which I think is very interesting because that's always been the issue with drug companies, how they've always had their investors to worry about to ensure there's a good profit, when ostensibly they're actually there for the good of mankind. And you know, it's a terrible stress. And you, you've got to please one of the two masters. Well, and I think this is the real nub of it, is should we have a, a model for medicine that's for profit? If you do, as you say, your real, you know, the emphasis always has to be on investors. But here's the problem, an, an even bigger problem with medicine, which is essentially drugs don't cure. I always have a challenge. I've been sending this challenge out since... I think about 1996, just a few years after we started. And that is, tell me a drug out there, and I'm not talking about gene therapy, that's something new, but a, an ordinary drug out there that actually cures something besides antibiotics. And antibiotics are actually starting to not work anymore too. But if you think about it, the whole coterie of drugs we have out there 
don't actually cure anything. They might maintain, they might take away some pain, they definitely are going to cause other kinds of problems with all kinds of side effects, but they don't cure. And that has a lot to do with what Goldman Sachs has said, the whole financial model. You need, as a drug company, two things. A vaccine, because that means a ready market for everybody, particularly a vaccine for babies. You know, everybody gets it. Or a drug that is for some sort of chronic problem that needs to be taken for life. When you get that kind of thing, it's gold dust. And that's pretty much most chronic illnesses, you know, when they're managed by a drug. So this is, this is the whole crux of why medicine doesn't work. It's relying on a business model and it's relying on chemistry to try to change something in the body that has loads of other effects. You know, the other big problem with drugs is that they think that if you slot slot A or tab A into slot B, it's only going to fix that little bit. The problem is that our bodies are so holistic and interconnected that it also affects slot C, D, F, and so on. And so you get all kinds of side effects. So here's a whole bunch of central issues about medicine and why modern medicine doesn't work, Bri. Mm, okay. Okay, and talking about slot A, tab B, or whatever it was, and the knock-on effects, um, that's already come out in an interesting study that estimates that the cost of drug reactions, side effects, and knock-on problems from pharmaceutical drugs is costing the U.S., $528 billion a year, and um, which is round about 16% of the total healthcare bill in the States every year. And when you think the US spends more on healthcare than any other country, um, that's quite an alarming figure. I mean, they're not entirely sure. The figures could even be worse than that. That's an average, they think. The high end, it could be even $672 billion. And uh, it's all really because people are suffering adverse reactions to drugs, as all the things you were saying, Lynn, about the knock-on effect that this chemical agent has on, on a very complex biological system, i.e. us. Um, and um, also, very interestingly, the researchers who are from the University of California at San Diego are saying that drugs themselves have become a disease because um, they give one instance, an ACE inhibitor, which is used to lower blood pressure, but it can also cause even something as simple as a cough, right? The cough then requires a cough remedy that includes an ingredient that increases blood pressure <laughs> and raises the risk of sleepiness and falls. So in, in all these cases, it's a knock-on effect. And so you get to the point eventually where someone in their 60s plus could be easily on seven or eight prescription drugs a day. And of course, again, we don't know the chemical reaction between all of those drugs in that in that chemical cocktail. But, you know, it's really following on from what we were saying earlier about, um, you know, how drugs don't actually cure, but they do treat the symptoms. And, um, but with, you know, with terrible consequences. Well, this is the thing. I think it's so underappreciated. But we now know that, and this was the Journal of the American Medical Association, no less, 
that drugs, you know, correctly prescribed drugs are the third leading cause of death in America and probably the Western world. Now, it, that could be even second, um, but it's just following after uh, heart disease and, and stroke. And I think cancer was third, but now I think um, um, correctly prescribed drugs, iatrogenic disease, doctor-caused disease, is number three. And it is all about their tools. It's not their intentions and all sorts of things like that. It's the tools they've got. And this chemical agent, as you say, has all kinds of knock-on effects that need require other drugs to deal with those knock-on effects. And we do know that polypharmacy, which is what we're talking about, having to take loads of drugs, is, you know, is standard for the over 50s now. And that is the, you know, the big concern we have. Um, I like to always say about medicine that if we're talking about emergency medicine, you know, conventional medicine is unparalleled. It, you know, we get run over walking out of the studio. We want the best of high-tech medicine to put us back together again. But for anything else, most of those chronic conditions, there is a holistic usually alternative approach that works better in just about every case. Hmm. And so following on from that, Lynn, um, you know, people say, well, you're just anti-doctor, what doctors don't tell you. But, you know, it's not quite as simple as that. I mean, we're not anti-doctors per se. We think they're very super smart, super caring, super wonderful human beings who probably give more time than almost anybody in the care of others. Our complaint is about the tools they've been given and the fact they are only given drugs uh, to deal with patients. And they're not seeing patients getting better. And, you know, it isn't surprising that you see uh, the rates of early retirement, even suicide, are higher amongst doctors than any other profession. And I think there is a special reason for that. Absolutely. They went into medicine to cure people and they're not curing people. It must be incredibly frustrating. Mm. The whole model... Uh, with drugs and surgery. You know, surgery is slightly better. It can do things like amazing things like hip replacements, etc. It can be heroic, wonderful, you know, uh, cure or treatment. But a lot of times it also causes all kinds of problems. Mm. You know, people die on the table. People mm. have untoward reactions. Mm. And so once again, those, those very extreme tools that can do a lot of harm are all they've got in their toolkit. Mm. And that is their, that's their issue and frustration. Mm. And um, I think another argument they say is, well, yes, okay, we, we accept the limitations of what we have, but, you know, there's no evidence that anything else actually works. And this is where what doctors comes in and takes real issue with that, because there's always plenty that's going on. And I think what is really interesting is that the, there's an enormous schism between what is being researched in terms of healthcare and what is being practiced. Uh, there are many top institutions from Cambridge, Oxford, Harvard, you name it, who are researching nutraceuticals, nutritional approaches, which are working, working better than drugs. But the doctors never get to practice this. And that's really the issue. And we've got a few points to, to on that one. Um, for example, uh, quite recently, uh, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia came up with a report that showed that antioxidant supplements, and especially vitamin E, 
can combat mitochondrial disease. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. And it's a genetic disorder, and it's linked to ME, chronic fatigue, diabetes, bipolar, schizophrenia, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's, which isn't really surprising when you think the powerhouse of the cell is being affected. But it, vitamin E especially, and antioxidants in general, are actually combating this problem. And um, they've done some proper research into this. It's been tested, and they've found that it is working very well. And it's also helping to reduce a thing called oxidative stress which is an imbalance between the immune system's production of free radicals and its ability to cope with them. And it is this rush of free radicals which is at the heart of many diseases. And um, But they're finding these vitamins actually are beginning to work. Well, they are working and they're beginning to discover that they are. And, you know, all sorts of things that are related to the problems, such as muscle weakness, visual problems, hearing problems, heart, liver and kidney diseases, GI problems, gastrointestinal problems, are all being helped by vitamin E in, in particular. And it's science, guys. It's been researched and it's found it works. I mean, we're always surprised by how much copious science looks at alternatives and demonstrates that they do work. There's an enormous amount of evidence. We cover it all the time, every month. And it's not just about supplements and so-called integrative type stuff, functional medicine, it's also the whole range, you know, all those alternative things from, you know, the standards like acupuncture and homeopathy to the very outer rim. There is new evidence coming forward all the time that incredible things work. But one of the frustrations too is a PR problem. And for instance, just talking about ME, chronic fatigue, there was a study that was rushed out, which we reported about, that absolutely was manipulated to say that exercise and cognitive therapy are the things that work. And they were clearly not. And the evidence, when looked at again, was demonstrated to be false. So this is another problem we have, which is, you know, by we, I mean all of us have, which is the information we're getting is oftentimes biased, is oftentimes manipulated by either the drug companies or researchers who are pressured or want to come up with a particular conclusion. So that's where we come in. We try to give you the news that other people don't give you. We try to basically break through fake news. Mm. And here's another piece of research, again, talking about how, um, how supplements and uh, nutraceuticals can actually help with disease. Uh, another one here, another supplement called uh, nicotinamide rebicide, NR, I'll just stick to NR if you don't mind, um, actually makes the whole heart system, the cardiovascular system, younger. And they've actually found this out. This actually works with fasting, that fasting can actually kickstart the, the, the whole arterial system to, and makes it younger. But so too does this supplement. And again, it's been scientifically proven to be very beneficial. And this time from the University of Colorado, who found that it actually reverses the physiological signs of aging 
in our cardiovascular system. And it helps improve blood pressure levels and improves arterial health. So it could be especially helpful for people suffering from mild hypertension, which is high blood pressure. And, you know, again, is yet another example. Here we are. We've got um, this has been tested um, on 24 people uh, who are either given a placebo or the or 500 uh, mg of the NR supplement for twice a day for, um, for about six weeks. And in that short amount of time, we were seeing enormous reverses. Now, heart disease still is the number one killer in the West, especially. And here's this supplement that actually is starting to reverse that, and reversing signs of aging of the whole arterial and cardiovascular systems. And here's the thing about heart disease and most of those areas that are so-called degenerative diseases. You know, medicine approaches it from this whole idea of heroic measure. It figures that if it has, if you have a big problem like heart disease, you need a big solution. You need to go in there all guns blazing and do, you know, bypass surgery or stick in stents or, you know, angioplasty. You need a whole pile of drugs. And most of the time with heart drugs, they don't just give you one. They give you two, three, four, all of them working in some way possibly antagonistically. You know, we don't know that they work, and there's no real evidence they work so well mm. synergistically. Mm. So all of these big things, you know, all guns blazing approach doesn't necessarily, you know, work as well as a simple lifestyle solution. And here mm. you've got perfect evidence, really good solid evidence that something simple, like a change of diet, like some other supplements, can completely reverse the situation. And the Colorado researchers estimate that um, this simple supplement, the NR supplement, is reducing blood pressure levels by around 10 points. And this alone would translate into a 25% reduction in heart attack risk. And with heart disease, as I say, being the number one killer, and one of the major reasons why people go and see their doctor in the first place, I mean, that would alone would take enormous burden off of the our healthcare systems. That's the big issue too. When you look at, you know, we talked before about the problems of, you know, of, uh, of all of the money going out for people who have been harmed. And the same thing happens in the UK where we live, um, where a huge batch of the budget is going toward uh, essentially, you know, providing you know providing money and restitution for victims. So if you can replace this with a simple supplement, you take all that burden off of healthcare on both sides of the Atlantic and in fact around the world. Okay, and the final bit of research into alternative nutritional medicine, whatever you want to call it. Everyone knows about the med diet, the Mediterranean diet, how good it is for us. You know, it's all about fresh olive oil, it's about nuts, seeds, fresh vegetables, fish, right? But they've now done some research which has demonstrated that Eve gets kick-started if you also supplement with coenzyme Q10. And that alone counters cognitive decline, reduces inflammation, which as we know, inflammation is linked to most every disease, from heart problems, arthritis, through to some cancers. And it also stopped deterioration of muscles and tissues. And um, 
the only thing is they say, well, the only, but it is important, you stick with it, which isn't really very surprising because nothing works if you don't stick with it. But they've found that that really gives a super boost to the med diet and its many benefits just by adding that supplement. And again, incredible impact on so many parts of our, 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 you know, our bodies and how incredibly important it is. Um, so, you, you know, it's... Um, and they say they don't really understand why it works, but they do think it's because it lowers lipids or blood fats, which protects, again, from our old friend oxidative stress, where, again, free radicals are not being sucked up by our systems. This um, particular substance, coenzyme Q10, is so important, and particularly important for heart disease, um, so little understood by medicine, I mean, one of the interesting things that happens with statins is that it lowers CoQ10 levels, and that can have catastrophic effects, which is why they add them in now to a lot of statins, or they suggest people supplement with CoQ10. So now we're seeing a wider um, application of this miracle substance, that it's just helpful in all kinds of aspects of aging, not just your heart. So it really has to be in everybody's vitamin drawer, you know, anybody over 50, I would say. Hmm. And again, look, this is yet more research. And we come up with this every week. There is yet more research that this stuff works. And it's proper research. You know, it's, it's proper science, as they would like to see. It's not been tampered with. There's no spin associated with it. And it's working. Absolutely. But it doesn't make money for the drugs company. Absolutely. See. Talking of which, let's go back to the old friends, the drugs, and especially the opioids, the painkillers, which has caused an absolute epidemic, especially in America, where many, many hundreds of thousands of people are hooked on these drugs, because I think they affect the pleasure part of the brain. And um, one reason for the epidemic, apart from people are getting them illicitly on the web, is that doctors themselves have forgotten they've made out a prescription for them. And this is one reason why we've been seeing so many more drugs out there. They did a survey amongst doctors and who admitted that they had actually, on, on, on in retrospect, had actually prescribed more of these drugs than they realised. Um, but I know, Lynn, you want to talk, because opioids are painkillers, and I know you want to say something about reducing pain. Well, I think there's a lot of things to say about pain and the treatment of pain. One of the amazing things that we've just unearthed that's going to be in an upcoming issue of What Doctors Don't Tell You is that a good amount of pain has nothing to do with a mechanical cause. This was extraordinary. There's some amazing research showing that um, things like um, back pain, which affects 80% of adults at some point in their lives, a huge percentage of it is caused by bacteria. Now, again, a study demonstrating that the simple bacteria that causes acne also somehow gets into the bones and causes back pain. Um, there's also incredible other evidence that bacteria, different kinds of strains of bacteria could be behind things like ankylosing spondylitis, which can you know, be crippling. It's a form of arthritis that can land people in a wheelchair. And we certainly have a subject who was given that kind of 
forecast in his 20s, and he's now playing squash. All he needed to do was to go on a low-starch diet, and he completely reversed his situation. Aside from bacteria and things like that, infections, bugs, another big cause of pain is stress. You know, big stress with life events. I mean, big cause of pelvic pain, which again affects millions, is just muscles that are chronically tight through stress. And treating that, treating the stress, treating the tight muscles, sorts the problem. But the other thing I wanted to say about pain, too, is the standard treatment of pain. Aside from opioids being terrible, you know, addictive drugs and causing major addiction in, in the West now, particularly in America, there's also the other problem of things like paracetamol. We always think of paracetamol and aspirin as being, you know, the benign painkillers. But there's new evidence, again, we just recently unearthed um, in this issue, our current issue, um, showing that paracetamol also blunts our emotions. It doesn't just take care of the physical pain, it also blunts emotional pain and emotions per se, makes us less caring, makes us less fair, all kinds of things like that. And that makes you think, wow, you know, even a simple painkiller like that can have huge knock-on effects. Mm. And um, one of the researchers, you know, we like to have a theme to our podcast, and I suppose in a way this guy says it better than us. Because at the end of his uh, study into this overprescribing of opioids, which, as I say, the doctors didn't realise they were doing, but he said, most believe they're doing the right thing. But we need to directly address this thinking to be sure they are not part of the problem. And I think that's it, isn't it, in a nutshell, really. Doctors are trying to do the best. They think they are doing the best, of course. But, you know, often they're not because of the tools they've been given because of the drugs have been given. Um, well, and luckily, too, we're now moving toward the whole idea of integrative medicine. Mm. You know, and that's taking off much more in the U.S. than it is in the U.K. right now, but it's seeping into the U.K., too, and other parts of the West, where the doctor essentially is widening his toolkit. Mm. He's saying diet, exercise, supplements, these are tools, too. These are major tools, mm. and maybe I can use these as a first point of mm. call. And, yeah, and on that point, I think we have to get the regulatory bodies a bit more up to speed as well. I mean, for many doctors who don't prescribe enough drugs, as we know in the UK, um, they can face uh, sanctions by the General Medical Council. And, you know, the, because they're not seen to be practising medicine as uh, set out by the various bodies, which includes, you know, enormous amounts of drugs, if they're not doing that, then they can face, you know, face the rap. And this is so, the whole system needs to be reviewed from the, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, disciplinary groups down. Well, and the problem is the disciplinary groups and, you know, and the people who supposedly regulate, they're all part of the drug industry. Mm. You know, it's now been the situation for a number of years now where, as we've talked about earlier on earlier podcasts, where most of the people in the Food and Drug Administration or the Centers for Disease Control are ex-drug people. Mm. And so they're, you know, they're not gamekeepers anymore. Mm. You know, the poachers mm. are, are, are there mm. instead of the gamekeepers. 
So, you know what I think we really need, Brian? Mm. I think we need a new campaign, like the Me Too movement. Mm. We need something that really liberates medicine. Mm. Hashtag liberate medicine. Okay, good. And we'll bring the doctors with us. Absolutely. All right. Well, look, I think that's about it for another week. And uh, I think we put the world to rights in slightly less than 30 minutes. So thanks again for listening or watching, if that's the case. And um, we hope to catch up with you again soon. In the meantime, check us out and subscribe to our wonderful magazine if you haven't already done so. So, and so... From me, Brian Hubbard, farewell. And from me, Lynn McTaggart, see you next time.